name. I played this song the other night. It, these coils are my life. Two years I'm down here working with them, and they're making their own music, and it was lost on me. I was never able to appreciate it until I met you. I heard you talking about music on your radio show, and Oh, I'm sappy. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage. We're here for another episode. Episode number nine. Almost in those double digits. Derek, how's it feel? I want it to end. No. <laughs> Derek. He, David started this this show with yeah, hey I here's the give, thing i had to give derek a little pep talk you're a big zero loser derek and nobody <laughs> wants to be depressed listening to you about mm. how sad you are about the movie and how much of a shambles your life's in so you need to just pep it up <laughs> yeah. a little i don't want to hear about uh you getting hired for janitorial floor services anymore <laughs> <laughs> the sadness in your life that's not true what i did say though is that uh i think these last two films that we watched we could just do it. we say the whole bunch except for two of them. Uh, I would say uh, have have uh, like landed us with some detrimental effects, and um, and I, I was just saying we were talking. We had a conversation about and I was including myself in this as well about just we need to be mindful. We need to keep spirits up. We're the captains of the cage boat, and we've got to write the this cage ship. cruise. The you cage cruise. Us. There we go. There's <laughs> that uh, alliteration. Um, but uh, uh, an outside factor that's contributing to me being feeling a little off today. You want to hear how I started my day today? I'd Derek? love. I'd love to. Stepped out of my bedroom, probably around like nine o'clock in the morning today. Mm, early bird. <laughs> yeah, early bird. Uh, waiting for me directly in the middle of. Uh, my living room, maggots. I guess. No, not maggots. Uh, uh, just a turd. Just <laughs> a turd. Human or no? It was a cat. I live uh. with a cat. But here's the quandary. I didn't. So I. It's not my cat. Okay. Um. Do I? I just cleaned it up because like my uh, roommates were at work. The cat owners. Uh, the cat. The cat's mama was at, away at work. She wouldn't be home until five. I was home, home alone. I'm like, I'm not just gonna leave this here all day i'm gonna take care of it i'm an adult i cleaned up the, the turd it, it do <laughs> but i didn't tell her about it is that oh. bad just should i yeah, tell her you should immediately tell her i'm such a fucking like i know this is this is not the pc term but i'm such a pussy and i like am so non-confront <laughs> confrontational <laughs> that i'm like i just even though that's not even anything that you a person should be embarrassed about, I was just like, I don't want to do this. But the reason that I was thinking maybe I should do it, what if there's like a health concern with this cat? Is she's never done it before? That's a weird thing. Or maybe she doesn't like her, like maybe her litter changed recently, right? And she doesn't like it. Well, at the end of the day, even Walk though this, D man, I need your help. This has happened with our baby uh, Chihuahua. Marla. Oh, okay, yeah, you you gotta. A pet that is living in your house that isn't yours. Yeah, it's yeah. ultimately the responsibility of the pet owner every single time, no matter what, no matter where. Right. Um, but obviously, because it's like a time-sensitive thing where it can stay in the carpet or whatever, uh, like 
one time Marla did her business right outside my door upstairs, which is where Alan, the owner of the dog, never goes. Yeah, she lives downstairs. Um, I didn't know where she was. Uh, I didn't want to deal with it. I was going to give it like three to five minutes before I took care of it. But then she mm-hmm. walks in the door and uh, I immediately tell her because um, and she, of course, was ha- like felt terrible and was right, happy yeah. to oblige to run up there and Febreze it and stuff. Um, but if she never came home, I would definitely take care of it. And because it's her responsibility as a pet owner, and she's a good, diligent pet owner, as I'm sure your roommate is, yeah. they need to know about the effects of their pet. Even yeah. if there's nothing they can do, they need to understand things that happen even if they're not there right that was my thing because this was like oh this is the first time this has ever happened is this a sign of a health issue with the kitten yeah you never know it could be something could be nothing but um if the pet owner lived alone they would have noticed this and it's it's strange to withhold but you know what i did do that once uh when i was working in the labs in I just didn't college. make it a thing. I yeah. the dog pooped, and the thing was the reason why I decided not you put to the lab dog, n- the lab the dog, Labrador? no, <laughs> in the labs where I worked in college in post production, there was um a dog that was there, and the reason why I didn't tell the owner was because the dog was acting weird and it kept coming up to me and kept like whining, and I was like, get out of here, you're not my dog, what's going on? And then later I found shit in the lab, and I was and I kind of felt like mm. that was kind of my bad. I should have alerted the dog owner that the dog was looking yeah. for attention or realized the dog needed to take a shit. So I just kind of took care of it and didn't tell the dog owner in that instance. Yeah. Well, and that's like, I, I feel like you are very much aware of like cause and effect in that situation. You're yeah. like, Oh, the dog just didn't get let out and this isn't its normal uh, habitat. So it maybe doesn't have like a door that it can scratch on to notify that. It I mean, if a dog's a trying to do everything it can to notify, then it's not the dog's fault right. at that point. Cause exactly. it's trying to be a good dog. But this is a cat that has a litter box, always uses the litter box. And all of a sudden it didn't. Also, so it's a cat. Going on. So who knows? Cats are jerks and weird. Okay. And... But uh, moral of the story, I gotta, I gotta tell this. Uh, my roommate. Yeah, of course. You need okay. to tell your roommate that the cat shit in the living room and I'll that probably, you picked it up. I'll probably uh, just uh, send a, a text or something. David. I'm so like passive. Like I just don't want to. No, I, I, I'll i do it. I'll, I'll say face to face. I said I cleaned your cat's shit. No, just like next time she gives you any attitude about dishes or something, just be like, well, at least my cat doesn't <laughs> shit all over the living room. That's yeah. how you bring it up health. It was on hardwood floor, too, so it was, like, barely any clean. When you slipped on it, it got everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was flipping around the room. Um, okay, thank you, Derek. Uh, I feel... Case uh, closed. Case closed. Could have had this conversation off air, I think. That's true. I want to let the people know we were dealing with stuff other than the cage man. Um, but the cage man is our, is our number one concern in life, and that's why we got to move into cage facts. It's been a little bit since we've done this, maybe. Yeah, I will. Uh, also, Maybe. we should ad- we should address. I, I I totally forgot this. Sorry for the audio. We won't spend too much time on this of our last episode. I, there was a little disclaimer from speaking me. of cat shit. Yeah, speaking of freaking just a real turd. We have no idea what happened. It just, yeah, we did the same exact settings and everything, yeah. and it's just working now. I don't and, know and what the deal sure was. And we made sure to uh, do a preliminary test this time around, just to, so we weren't surprised because that was disappointing. That was our longest yeah. episode yet. We both felt good about it by the end of it and we're just like oh man what a fucking bummer listening back to it yeah Um, we did what we could to make it better it was unlistenable at first yeah and and i put that disclaimer and just saying like hey oh yeah i i in the disclaimer i said uh we would sort of like fill people in 
uh, Ghost Ghost Rider we didn't like very much. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the only real takeaway. The cliff notes. Oh, the other thing, uh, other news. This is like our own podcast housekeeping. This isn't in our news segment, but uh, Coppola Cabana took the uh, title. We debuted a new segment on uh, last week's show where we um, reacted to one of uh, Nikki's newest film trailers. And the uh, segment title for that going forward, it's going to be a reoccurring segment on the show, is The Coppola Cabana. The people have spoken. His name was Nicky. Mm-hmm. He was an actor. Yeah. At the Copa. Coppola Cabana. There we go. We're going to get a finalized version of that song in real soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the theme song. But anyway, great. I think we're both ecstatic about you guys on Twitter. Thank you for everyone who voted. You guys made a good choice. I like knowing those digital receipts of information came from your diligent, cage-loving thumbs. Yeah, it soothes, it soothes Derek's robot internal processor to... <laughs> Bleep blorp. It's like taking an oil bath. Yes. Uh, but anyway, cage facts. We're in it. What are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table? They ain't no iguana. Yeah, there are. There ain't no iguana. What the fuck is that? Fucking iguana. First fact, we're right into this motherfucking segment. Are you ready? Yeah. Nicholas Cage once uh, at an auction won a uh, a T Rex fossil, a skeleton. Uh, it was just uh, the head. Okay, so that's, just that's true because Nick Cage is a winner, and that would be something I think he would put on display. Story doesn't end there though. Uh, months later, he was contacted by the Bolivian government, I believe. Oh, this was a stolen T-Rex fossil from one of their museums. and he, clue. He, he was forced to return it at a loss, like he didn't get any oh, of his money back. Wow. So he, he spent, I think, hundreds of thousands of dollars on this T-Rex skull and then had to return it. Uh, next up. Uh, he wants, Nicholas, of course, Nicky Cage once ate a real cockroach for a scene in one of his films. I'm not going to tell you the specifics of the film because that might sway you one way or the other, but uh, or the name of the film, but once he, uh, once he ate a cockroach in one of his films. A real one. Next up, next fact. Uh, while David Lynch was directing Wild at Heart, he uh, was uh, actually taking a break from being on set of his uh, show, Twin Peaks. I included this one because the uh, Twin Peaks: The Return now airing on Showtime. Are you a Twin Peaks guy, Derek? Uh, you know it's on my list. Oh, you never got around to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I'm enjoying that. I think it's pretty good. They, they've like released the first four episodes, uh, and I'm just happy. It's been a while since we've had anything from David Lynch. I like him a lot. Um, but anyway, I I chose this this fact for that reason. Tie in Twin Peaks: The Return on Showtime. Uh, so David Lynch was directing uh, Wild at Heart and Twin Peaks concurrently, and several of the actors from Wild at Heart show up in Twin Peaks. One of the people that he desperately wanted to convince to come and do at least like a cameo or something was, uh, as he calls him, the the what is he, the jazz musician of acting because of his improvisational skills, Nick Cage. Oh. He really, really wanted him to come and be on Twin Peaks. Wow. 
unfortunately wasn't able to court him to come be on the show. The rest is history. Uncourtable. So those are your facts. T Rex, uh, T Rex skull, cockroach, Twin Peaks. I'm gonna get this one. If you start a fact with while David Lynch was directing this or that, uh, it doesn't matter what comes next. I'll believe anything. So that one's true. The dinosaur one is also true. Okay. And I'm sure he loves telling that story because I feel like even though Nick goes nuts sometimes in his scenes, that he might be a little bit of a that's not in my contract kind of guy. But I don't know. It makes me think he wouldn't be flexible enough to decide to eat a cockroach. Mm. I feel like he'd be the first one to be like, so are we going to do a, like uh, a candy cock? <laughs> candy <laughs> cock. Yeah, that's what they're called. A uh, Swedish roach. Yeah. A little jelly roach. So I'm going to say the roach is the lie, and he got burned on a dinosaur head and is uncourtable by Mr. Lynch. And just like every week, I am... Uh, incorrect. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> oh man, very very close though. I I I like omitted a couple details with that cockroach one. That's uh, vampires kiss that he ate that cockroach for. And it was early in his career. I think he was probably trying to just like he he was just trying to do bold stuff at that time in his career. Mm. He also um, one of the things that I like that it brought to mind when I read about him eating that cockroach was he handled, uh, we talked about this on our review of Joe. He handled a poisonous snake. <laughs> the director was like, we could give you like a non-poisonous snake or like a prop or something. He's like, he no, wanted the real give deal. it to me. That's true. And he's, and he's holding it could turn around and bite him. Uh, and he like tosses it in the scene. And so, which is crazy thing as well. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the twin peaks is the, is the false. While there's like some truth in that, he uh, <sighs> he wasn't ever invited to be a part of that show. But that's a believable thing. <laughs> it was very convoluted. Yeah, yeah, I did give a lot. And kind of confusing. <laughs> so I gave up on it. Threw you off the trail. All right. So that's that for Cage Facts. Thank you guys for uh, listening and watching another episode of Cage Facts, our show within a show. And it's time to move on to our main review of the film that we watched this week, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And we're going to kind of keep this review a little shorter just because this was truly... Because the tears are already streaming down my face. Yeah, it was just a um, a very, very boring uh, generic film. We we were talking a little bit earlier about how we um, both kind of are, we're missing like the... uh, the smaller independent like VOD releases because at least there were like deci- like creative decisions being made. This really felt to me like a movie that was created by a committee or just some sort of like an AI that was like this is uh, this is what adventure fiction is in film in a big budget film and it was just very generic, very boilerplate for me. Um, Derek, do you have? Should I just summarize the film first? If you can. Yeah. You so may. that's true. One of the insane pieces of this film was that uh, the opening sequence gives so much exposition, and it's literally like tripping over itself, like jumping forward in time 
in its explanation of things that happen, jumping backwards in time again. It's in, it's very poorly uh, done, but the my to the best of my ability, um, Nicholas Cage is Balthazar. Balthazar Blake, I think, is his full name. Right. He is one of three apprentices to Merlin, the uh, ancient uh, fabled wizard. If you have to explain who Merlin is, yeah. I mean. So the the movie starts in the seven uh, hundreds in Britain, and um, Balthazar, uh, one of the apprentices, uh, one of Merlin's apprentices, betrays Merlin. Uh, he kills him, and then there's an evil sorceress who is wants like, to raise the dead. Wants to raise the dead. She stole his power. Nicholas manages to uh, capture her and the other apprentice that turned. Uh, against him and Merlin in a Russian nesting doll. Unfortunately, the other apprentice, who was a love interest for Nicholas, for Balthazar, was also caught in that Russian nesting doll. Merlin's last dying words, he gives him a a dragon ring, gives Nick a dragon ring that says, uh, this will reveal to you the next prime Merlinian. Which just means... Yeah, which just means the... The uh, chosen one. Yeah, the chosen one. The next For person Merlin. who's going to be as powerful as Merlin. Yes. Blah, 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 blah. We both thought it would be very funny if uh, if this movie was made a little a little more contemporary, a more uh, recent film. It would have been called the Prime Millennial. Millennial. And they would have been on their freaking iPhones tapping away at their flappy birds. Entitled Little Flappy Fucks. Eating their avocado toast, not affording houses. It would have been hilarious. The is, Prime Millennial. Is that... Is that- does that ring is that a boba ring <laughs> <laughs> yeah the drinking boba <laughs> um but anyway gets a ring that's gonna re- reveal uh the prime mer millennial millennial not merlinian yeah now i actually forget what it is called but it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter he goes through time eventually comes across young jay baruchel we get uh, a taste of uh jimmy world setting yeah. in the 2000 this is uh there's literally, th- I don't know what it's called, that convention where it's like, oh, this starts way um, at an earlier date in time than the majority of the movie's going to take in, take place in. But anyway, so first a section of the movie starts in 700 uh, um, AD, next 2000, next 2010, and then that's where the movie actually takes place. Yes. But anyway, a uh, little kid, he is, Jay Baruchel is the prime millennial. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he's got a the the bad guys escape the Russian nesting doll because of Jay Bearshaw a little bit. He kind of knocks it over. And I'm literally sweating from like trying to process. This, this is, is like the, the first, first five minutes. Yeah, there's so much. This is like, I feel like more so than any other person involved in this film. This is uh, uh, Derek. You are an editor. This, this whoever edited this film sucked all of the air out of it and just like loaded it. I mean, I guess the exposition wasn't the editor's choice. Um, that was the writers and the director. But the, 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 it's the number ju- one problem with the movie beyond anything else is the pacing. Yeah, the pacing is exhaustive. It's, there's a rapidity to it where there's just n- nothing is allowed. It's to It's like breathe. listening to a snare drum roll for two hours straight. Yeah. Instead of like a drum beat that takes you into different rhythms. And For time a second, signatures. I thought I was watching Miles Teller uh, in a Damien Chazelle film because I was getting whiplash. Wow. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, no, it was wow. fucking insane. The pacing of this movie it was terrible. Yeah, and um, and it never let up. It really never slowed down. It never slowed down. Uh, you know, I feel like it could um convince people that maybe it was a well done movie because of like certain funny situations or or. Uh, funny lines that yeah. were like giving us punctuations yeah. that kind of make you like force upon you maybe this is a developed character and I'm just not the getting script it. The script isn't probably <laughs> terrible. There were some no. jokes that we were like, oh, I guess that, that works as a joke. Like uh, there are some weird references that are kind of strange for like a PG uh, kids movie. There's like yeah. a Braveheart reference, which is like, okay, no one's going to fucking know <laughs> if this is targeted at kids and came out in 2010. People aren't going to recognize Braveheart, but yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't mean no, to. No, I mean, but that's that's exactly it. Yeah, it's just um, let me. So yeah, there's some Jimmy Eat World in it. Um, the Prime Millennial. They so an interesting thing about this film, they try to explain magic in the same uh, way that uh, Lucas tried to explain the Force. He like kind of went back in the prequels. And gave this explanation of like, oh, this is based in biology. This is based in science. This is based on these things called midichlorians and how yeah, many of them. But it was still kind of like vague and just a quantifiable thing. Whereas this it has a lot of instances with Nick Cage specifically referencing molecules and like very specific like um they, they try to like ground their magic in like this is actually science uh but there's and it's no a, real it has a, to. everything to do with like electrical currents like flowing through you it doesn't really help the movie except for the fact no. that i guess this prime millennial kid is obsessed with um like science he has a lot of lines like uh very much like science bitch or yay science kind of lines yeah um yeah, hit, hit one of it in the climactic moments, uh, he's like lying on the ground. He's been, he's been all but defeated by the the main villain in the film, and he says, uh, "Well, I brought a little science with me." He brought a little science. I right? think is the line he gives, and then she's attacked by cords, like electrical cords. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's no real like um, <laughs> battle between electricity and magic, and like no. these, these schools. The, of the reason I just... bring it up though is because like the the, the salient like quick criticism of that uh, of that decision in Star Wars was always just like you don't need to explain magic. People can suspend their disbelief and be like, oh, okay, magic exists in this world. Like energy exists, and people are able to harness it in specific ways. And in, in an exploration of like well, especially the realism with... of that it is silly and inherently kind of just it, it's not necessary and this film does that to a far greater degree where it's like trying to ground it in uh in science and trying to ground it in physics well but in star wars you get like the philosophy of like basically sufism and like oh the power of meditation oh and God. the emotional spiritual like connection people have with the world uh as a way to kind of explain what the force is. Uh, and then that's what made Minichlorians weird for me. It was like almost a backtracking on that. Uh, whereas this movie uh, was even more heavily uh, trying to integrate our modern ideas of science um, within like how magic is used. Uh, and I didn't really understand, like, the the interest that the main character has in the science love interest. oh and no <laughs> he's in love with science relax this isn't the bachelor minute 
Oh, there's there's a point with this love interest that I'm gonna bring up later, but continue. well, definitely that's the best scene ever. So we'll have to talk about that. But it, it like his whole science thing doesn't really become like a characteristic of him. Like uh, I don't know, I don't really buy the fact that like science is part of like his personality. It just happens to be a thing that's going on with him that feels kind of tacked on because mainly his workstation, which makes no sense that he has. How did they like write it off that he has this giant warehouse in New York City? Yeah, he's got like the, it's basically like a shut down uh, like tunnel system. It feels like it's this like brick with us right really beautiful roofing, and he's like uh, NYU. I was destroying all the laboratories, so they put me down here. So they gave him his own access to like these the amount of electricity that goes to those Tesla coils could kill people so yeah. easily. And um, I also like that uh, this guy who's is supposedly like this brilliant physicist uh, is like using Tesla coils in yeah, 2010. He, he doesn't like, know anything about science. There's nothing in there that makes me think he's actually a scientist in any way. It's just a tacked on thing about yeah. his character. So much so that the romance scene, which you're talking about, is this is this scene where he programs his Tesla coils to emit vast amounts of electricity and energy in order to... Um, pitch certain sounds yeah and he choreographs it in such a way that the tesla coils uh it plays such a cool freaking <laughs> indie song dude i had yeah. never even heard of this the song. song is supposed to be featured on the love interest the girl he likes uh college rock radio yeah. which college is almost a genre you should be afraid of being a part of because it means you're unnoticed and nobody knows you are and you have any money yet the song in which he plays through his Tesla coils is one of the most popular, generic, yeah, we overproduced trying, songs. We, I actually never even like fa found it. I forget. Tell it's, you what you want from me. And all your troubles away. And yes, and they're sitting in a cage, and all the electricity is making the 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 music of this song, which I'm sure a scientist would spend all of this energy and time doing and he tells her even i had all these tesla coils and all of this power and all of this like experiments and i had no idea what it was really for i knew i had something but now that you know you're here and you've introduced me to this music i i knew what it was for it was to give you like this gift and what the hell anyone who's interested in science at all would scoff at at this this is a ridiculous this, this kid does not know anything about science. There's nothing in his character that makes me believe he actually knows anything about science and is a scientist. Secrets by One Republic. That's it. College Rock, the reason for his uh, giant warehouse in New York City that would be... The <laughs> rent on that thing would be insane. Yeah. The faculty would be using it before they give it to a child with a bunch of Tesla coils. Yeah. Uh, it's like I imagine his professors come up to him at the end of the school year. So, uh, uh, Jay, Jay, what have you been working on all, all this year? He's like, well, I have Tesla coils that can play a shitty fucking pop song. I can do what many children have done in Minecraft with I'm, Redstone. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jay. Uh, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on you. We gave you a lot of leeway, buddy, and you've been up. You've been in the sewers, make covering One Republic. You're kicked out of school, Jay. Was did NYU have a part of that movie or something? Because we see a lot of NYU banners, a lot well, of NYU. The thing about NYU is that's just where the cool kids go, Derek. Yeah, it's like kind of romanticizing NYU. I yeah. get it. I get it. Um, 
let's talk about Milo Yiannopoulos, who shows up in this film. Uh, Toby Kebbell uh, plays a. This is this is maybe the best joke in the movie. Is that they're. Um, Alfred Molina, who plays the bad apprentice, the apprentice that's turned to the dark side and betrays Merlin, uh, when he's released, he goes and he's like, "I need to get some other wizards. I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta get some help so I can defeat Nicholas and his new apprentice." Uh, one of the people that he recruits is uh, Toby Kebbell's character, who is uh, a wizard, an actual wizard, but he's masquerading as like a shitty Chris Angel kind of uh, ripoff like las vegas magician and he's dressed i i posted about this on twitter um here i'll show you these derek to, to like you can swipe through these oh no i know these. um but oh. just like how how similar they are to um one of the famous alt-right uh oh. milo yiannopoulos um it's it's literally it, it kind of identical um yeah. th their style so it's just fun to see that this was um this shitty Disney villain was uh, Milo's style icon, um, but true. I but I did think that was like kind of a fun uh, visual gag. Someone actually got mad at me who didn't follow me on Twitter because of that tweet, and said, "What did they say to me?" They said he wanted to look ridiculous because the character's ridiculous, and I was like, "No, I like get what the joke was." This girl, so my. I don't know. You don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, Derek, but whenever you tweet any celebrity's name, there's almost 100% of the time a person who is a fan of that celebrity who is just constantly searching that celebrity's name will show up in your mentions and, like, talk shit to you, especially if you, like, deride the celebrity at all. So this girl was looking for Toby Kebbell because she's a big Toby Kebbell fan and got mad that I was, like, clowning on his outfit. And then I let her know. I was like, no, I think the visual gag actually works. But it's just, Twitter's bad. It doesn't has anything to do with the movie, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to talk about that outfit. And um, I know internet, you're always closed, Dave. The internet outrage, yeah. Um, oh, we haven't talked about Nick at all. I mean, so here's the thing. Derek. Yeah. I feel like the characters in this movie like the characterization uh nick's performance is like totally fine but it's not allowed to breathe at all due to the like incredibly rapid pacing of the film yes the um, uh the the first confrontation in the film is paced like the climax of a film like in terms of both yeah uh how long the sequence is the amount of cgi in that sequence compared to all the other sequences the big like set pieces and the big decisions and things like being made by the characters and the growth and sacrifices potentially being made. Um, so yeah, I get, cause there Nick's performance is, is good. It's fine. It's, I think he did it's a good job fun. with the character. Yeah. Um, but he, it's exactly right of that. We don't ever take a breath. So he, there's especially at the end, you kind of get the mentor-mentee kind of loving, grudgingly respect, especially with the main character and his love interest. Nick kind of gets it. He's a romantic himself. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a nice thing that tied them together. Where mm -hmm. uh, Nick's past romance that has been torturously put yeah, on hold. Nick was kind of deprived of the great love of his life, so he's like very much in support of this uh, kid who really, he, Nick is like in desperate need of his help to get his love back. But he also realizes that love is sometimes fleeting, and if Jay doesn't pr pursue this girl, 
he might lose her. And there's a, there's a bit of sweetness in their relationship o- over that And he that doesn't regard. let it go easily. And, you know, he plays the mentor who's very stern and, and um, you know, ultimately cares about this kid a lot and grows to care about him more, but is, you know, um, very much like the monkey in Kubo. Did you watch Kubo? No, I haven't seen Kubo. Oh, it made, made Kristen cry. It, it looks great. I watched, a, like, a YouTube of the making of. That guy's amazing. That is a stop-motion artist. Yes. It's um, nice. um but uh, uh, unfortunately, unlike the monkey and Kubo, I didn't really feel the connection as strongly as um, I could have. Yeah. If those, um, a lot of times in mid conversation, the scene will change. The entire setting, the entire place, the entire location, the wardrobe of people in the middle of a conversation they're having, yeah. which can be a cool element in certain places where the movie needs to have this fun, quick pacing because things are happening. But uh, when way too many things are always happening all the time and you're always doing things like this, it makes it so that conversation has no uh, like authenticity or, or like it doesn't stick with you at all. You can't remember it because it takes place in so many places. Yeah, it's totally it's for- unfortunate. It's like a, a breakneck um, speed to that. That's like, oof. It's just, it, it like, yeah, it, it, it um, dilutes like the impact of those scenes. Um, the last thing that I think is kind of an interesting part of this film, and it's the only time it's really addressed, the famous uh, Fantasia sketch, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. There's an allusion to that uh, in this film. I, I guess, I mean, this is a Disney film. I guess right. there was, like, maybe in the early conversations of, of the, like, the early production meetings for this film, it was like, we want to redo a Sorcerer's Apprentice story for a modern generation. I don't know. Not Old not specifically. Millennials. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for the millennial audience. Um, but th- there's a scene where... Jay needs to quickly clean up his uh, freaking sewer space, sewer laboratory, and uh, he, like, recruits a bunch of mops. Nick says, now make sure you don't uh, use this magic for anything other than, like, these spells that I've sanctioned. Um, Jay figures out, though, he's like, oh, I can recruit these mops and brooms, and look, it's going so well. Uh, and spoilers for Fantasia, but uh, things end up not going so well. And it's it's basically an exact recreation of that scene with Mickey in the, in the wizard hat and all the brooms, and things get out of hand, and water starts sloshing, and he's got to have a date in the space. And, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And it's not, I mean, it's like... It just felt out of place because there's no other real allusion to the fact that this was like, like it, it just doesn't. It, it feels like the only like set piece in the movie in some ways. Like, uh, I feel like everything else is moving so quickly that like, even there's a fight with a dragon early on, like that stuff because it is changing location so quickly and like it just kind of blurs together in the rest of the motion blur of like this well, yeah. tapestry this, this of character scenes. who just summons this giant dragon has like such awesome characteristics and gets so many close-ups cool that it's like wait who is this guy again we don't get anything yeah we just we don't it, get anything he's in the movie for maybe three minutes and then yeah. he's gone as like um, the 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 friggin trial of the world this guy creates and we don't get anything about him and and then it's just over. Yeah, it's just over. But anyway, I just wanted to address that, like that specific scene. And now I feel like we, if we spend any more time on this movie, uh, 
it's it's not it doesn't deserve any more time spent on it i will say um the action sequences are pretty good yeah and uh it's funny i was just if you just kind of like watch the movie without any context and not listen to the words there is just like stuff breaking and being thrown and things flying around all the time yeah. no matter what there's like um like it's amazing to me how fast things cut and how quickly we get out of places because from the coverage and the action within each shot it seems like they must have shot each scene for so long totally like um i think the movie could have been eight hours long and they um you know didn't want to cut any specific thing or things wouldn't make sense if they did cut certain things because there was just too much story in it they had to just get in and get out of every scene so fast but um yeah it's never static nothing's ever static. the camera's always moving things are always moving bodies are always flying like there's always atmosphere like papers flying like so much just garbage being thrown yeah. around in front of the lens. It, all it's the time. a it's a Jerry Bruckheimer film, and it re- really has the feel of like something like a Pirates of the Caribbean or something, where it's just yeah. like, oh, this is so busy and like so action oriented. There's just like such a a sense of like a forward momentum to this film. Yeah. Um. But in this, it like it gets away from them, and like it just runaway train. Um, let's, uh, (laughs) let's, uh, summarize our thoughts on this film. I, I kind of set it up top. uh, It's kind of frustrating to me, or it's not frustrating. I don't actually give a shit. I'm not invested in this, but, uh, like, it's just kind of too bad that this could have been, it it was still would have, it could have never like gotten away from being a generic film, but like the script isn't terrible the performances aren't terrible like the effects aren't terrible like the decisions for like the what set pieces are included aren't terrible it's really just um it it, like the the speed the rapidity of the pacing um that just makes it you just can't ever grab hold of anything and like the film is ultimately really ephemeral and i'm gonna forget like i already am kind of like forgetting about elements of it just because so much is shoved into this hour and a half or it's like no it's like two it's like two hours 210 maybe uh yeah which is which is long for something that keeps up that um pace and that momentum um so it's a bummer because i feel like this was kind of a a potentially fun character for nick and we're here for Nick, and we're rooting for him. We love Nick. We love Nicky. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'm giving this film a bad, bad. Yeah, I, um, I was actually really surprised that Disney let this one sneak through the cracks. Like I thought it would at least be more entertaining, or like just, I don't know. It's it's crazy to me that this is how it came out in its final form. Um, but uh, yeah, like obviously this the biggest if I could summarize exactly the biggest issue is pacing. Like it's a great example of how to pace a movie poorly, in my opinion. Um, and then the the scenes in which it allows itself to slow down and breathe and tries to do something in terms of like um, a relationship or a character, those scenes, sometimes happen to be the worst like weakest scenes in the movie like um the cage um love interest song thing um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that um and yeah there 
seemed like there was potential there with Nick. And when Nick. you say cage, you mean a liter- there's a Not literal cage. Not Nicolas Cage. cage. I, I know that could be confusing. They're in a cage. Watch. Yeah, they're in a with cage. With the electricity being... zipping around them playing the song. Right. That was a, a scene where we got to relax for a second and just be in that scene, but it was one of the weakest in the movie. Yep. Um, and so it's like bad, bad, fast pacing highlighted by poorly handled scenes. And um, I mean... And that fedora, I know you were upset about, Dave. Yeah. Where's the fedora for most of it? Yeah, and he doesn't start out in the fedora, and I was like, he's looking pretty cool in this, and then he puts the fedora on, and I'm not happy with that. Yeah, lots of, um, like, I can feel actors looking at a tennis ball and being reacting, and, and the director being like, it's a giant stone bird. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot it's of, the like... It's Merrill Lynch bowl, and it's charging you. A lot of, uh, a lot of, like, uh... uh that's a bird and like you know um yeah did he just fly off on a giant stone bird i honestly (laughs) they do that so late with uh the love interest like it's literally at like the hour like 45 minute mark where jaya baruchel's love interest is like exposed to the fact that he is a magician or a wizard or what the fuck ever uh and sorcerer yeah, sorcerer, and uh, she, she does like the like perfunctory rote reaction to like, uh, I can't. Am I actually seeing this? <laughs> what? And it's just like at this point, we're both so boy bored and like annoyed with the film, and like have gotten over the fact that there's magic in it because the film starts with magic. You see it immediately. So as an audience member, you're like, oh, I'm so over this like twist. That, like, I just had no patience for her, like, having that reaction. Like, it, it's the one time in the film where I was like, okay, we could move past this even quicker. That poor girl's character, too, is just so, like, yeah. uh, nothing. Like, it, she's just an object of the main character. And, like, I feel like they try to get around that a little bit by saying, no, 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 she's, like, a strong, courage, courageous woman. Because at the end, she's like, no, I want to be a part of this. I want to help you. Mm-hmm. And... I still don't really know anything about her yeah. or, like, what her motivations really are. It doesn't have anything to do with, like, any of the actors in this film. I feel like everyone did their best. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. That's that's what's... Yeah. That's what's so... Yeah. We it. didn't even mention it. Alfred Molina is, like, the big bad guy in this film. He's he's fine. He's, like, good and entertaining. Uh, oh, I forget the, his roommate's name, but he's uh, he, like, plays, like... He only is there very, very briefly in the beginning, but he's kind of the comic relief uh, and then shows up later. uh, He kind of like reinforces the arc that the character needs to go on very literally. Like in the very beginning, he says, you're not like a wolf because a wolf has to partake and and like get in there and be courageous. He's like criticizing how passive Jay is. Yeah, how passive he is. So it's like, okay, now throughout the movie, you're not telling you're not telling your roommates that their cats shit on the floor. (laughs) Like you're living too (laughs) passive of life. You need to involve yourself. And then at the very end he comes in at the last second we haven't seen him the whole movie and he comes in and goes, Hey, you're participate. You're not passive anymore. You've made your arc. Now let's go to the end of the third act because you can't fit any more of him besides those two moments because uh, the movie, I guess, had too much stuff. Anyway, bad, bad for me. Bad, bad. Double bad, bads. Um, That's a quad bad. Okay, um, let's move into cage match. Ding, ding. Hey, buddy, ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beat until you pissed blood? <laughs> so where's this going to fall, D-Man? Very low. Yeah, pretty low. I liked Ghost Rider more. I definitely liked Ghost Rider more. Um, let's... Pull uh, this list up 
And okay, our current list is as follows in descending order Joe at the number one spot, mm. Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, Dog <laughs> Eat Dog, Stolen, Outcast, Ghost Rider, Pay the Ghost, and Knowing. Okay, I think above Knowing, under Pay the Ghost yep, for me. 100%. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> we like one of the reasons we shortened uh, our review segment, which I don't, I think it we, actually we got definitely away. expanded as yeah, much as we do anytime else. We're, we're blowhards and we can't not talk about something. How once we much get going. better we would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only we were behind the It's really wheel. disappointing, guys. Oh, and the source material of Balthazar <laughs> is so rich. <laughs> <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Lily would have wrote itself. Um, but yeah, yeah we, we did have a conversation. We're like, because last time our com- we had the longest cage match yet. Yeah. It went all five, five rounds. Um, uh, so we were like, oh, we should probably shorten our review a little more so the episode doesn't get away from us. But that was maybe the quickest cage match ever. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. The next. I mean, new... almost. It's tight with knowing, though, just because in mm-hmm. knowing at least. Nick Cage had like a like a crazy freakout moment for a second. And there remember there is a similarity uh, a similar uh what's the word a production worker. Oh, Mr. Leafman. Mr. Coming, Leafman coming at you with the papers when they're yes, the confetti. Yeah, the confetti one too much confetti. Jesus. Oh yeah, oh. and also paper. And the paper in the beginning. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. I thought you were No, no. To say but the confetti as well. Uh, yeah, if, if you're a fan of Knowing's Leaf um, Man yeah. um, with the amount of excess leaves that we he got. He was the runaway movie. star of that film for us, mm-hmm. of Knowing for us. He also did great work in The Sorcerer's Apprentice with insane amounts of confetti in Chinatown, which I will add quickly just the Chinese characters in Chinatown are very characteristic yeah. or There's uh, a lot caricature-y. Of... And right. Are there just stereotypes? Yeah, racial stereotypes just to kind of punctuate little jokes to give you a sense that you're in Chinatown. Very like old school Disney, like zippity doo dah shit with Chinese people. Yeah. There's also uh, his girlfriend gets mugged on the subway. Oh, the, the only mugger. like black guy in the yeah. movie besides his roommate besides is his like roommate. the most generic hoodie up, uh, like, and give this- me your stuff, man. And then he like uses his ring. And, like, demolishes some stuff, and he has, like, even a stereotypical kind of, like, whoa, you got magic? Like, yeah, oh, man. It's it really is. bad. It's, like, and it's especially, like, the, I would I would criticize that no matter what era the film uh, came out in. But it, this is a 2010 release. Um, Disney. Like, oh, I don't Jesus, understand. Dude. Like, it sucks to take that role as, yeah. like, a black actor. Yeah, like, I, I brought up... Um, we. we uh, we could tie this in. Uh, Aziz Ansari's show, uh, Master right. of None, um, one of the driver. first episodes, uh, uh, is um, all about like racial stereotypes and auditions and stuff that you go to when you are uh, a minority person of color actor. Um, and it's just like, oh, these people all want me to do an accent that I don't have. And yeah. like, you know, there's, there's problems with that. Um, so it, it's weird where whenever you see like real manifestations of that where it's like, oh, I'm sure this guy in the audition room was just like, Jesus, give me fucking something else. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> like that's pro- probably the biggest film he had been in up into that point. And it's just like, this is what you're doing in this yeah. like ch- kids film. Like that just sucks. I feel so bad for that guy. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, but the reason that, that I was going to tie it to Master of None, there was an episode. Derek, I've, I still haven't seen it. That uh, has uh, Nick Cage kind of at the center. They, they, he's not at the center. At the center, they he's mention a, a starring him role in like one conversation. There's like a big movie that's coming out, and there's a big twist involving Nick Cage. But uh, all the characters in the fiction of the show, in which Nick Cage is a real actor, all were very supportive and big fans of yeah. the Cage Man. Which is a, a, a great subversion. I'm kind of like tired of this, like, f- we've talked about it a lot on the show. Of, of course. This, like, the memification. Yeah, this culture of like hate and sort of uh, these people who aren't that familiar with his body of work who like adopt this pr- opinion of him. Right. Uh, I mean,. I've been having to torture myself to become so familiar with his contemporary body of work that it's like, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's unjustified to have some negative feelings, sure. but, um, yeah. What a Nicholas Cage film is now is maybe mockable. <laughs> <laughs> you can maybe, uh, take, take the piss out of that as yeah. our, uh, friends but across the, the act, pond, you know, say. one actor in those movies is such a small part of the movie, mm-hmm. but as a whole person, Nick Cage is a talented, beautiful man, and we are very, I think we were having a conversation that we're getting very um, defensive about him and and want to protect Nick from criticisms in some ways, because we are putting in the damn time. He's like a good friend now, like, we can make fun of him, yeah, but you can't. He's like our little brother. Because we've seen ten, no, nine, Nine. terrible, well, eight terrible contemporary Nick Cage movies. Bad Lieutenant and Joe are both good, I think. Oh, seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know math. Um, but uh, yeah, so we are nine films as of yet. Uh, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Dog Eat Dog, Stolen, Outcast, Ghost Rider, Pay the Ghost, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and Knowing. And what's that around the corner, Derek? Just around the river bend. Wow. He's coming in the room. It's it's Nick. Is it? He's floating. He's floating towards us. There's a golden aura around him. He's got a DVD in his hands. What is it? D- take it, Derek. Oh my god. Thank you, oh Nick. Oh my gosh. It's a well, it's actually a stack of 4 DVDs. I think he wants you to choose one of them, Derek. He wants me to choose? Yeah. Oh, he's nodding angelically. Oh, wow. He's so beautiful. Oh, what do I so got here? So let's look. Yeah, Looks what is like this one? I can't read it. Adaptation. Wow. Leaving Las Vegas. Wow. Wild at Heart. Oh, these all look good. And Raising Arizona. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you, Nick. Oh, he's floating Nick, away. Nick, no, no. So many questions. <laughs> you didn't even get to ask him anything. <laughs> Damn it. Wow. I feel great. There's, I feel like there's uplifted. just an aura in the room. Yeah. Um, but I think w- we've talked about for our 10th episode doing a, a classic cage, taking a step back into time. Seeing his angelic, talented self yeah. in good hands. So these four films, I kind of wanted to let you decide, Derek. Uh, leaving mm. Las Vegas... Or actually, I, I I had no idea that he was gonna give us these four. <laughs> <laughs> leaving what what a good selection. Uh, leaving Las Vegas, of course, was 1995, where he is playing uh, an alcoholic in Las Vegas. Um, he won his Academy Award for Best Actor for that role. Wow. Um, adaptation was a 2002 Spike Jones film where he plays uh, twin brothers. Um, one of them is is. Uh, um, he's playing the character of charlie kaufman who's the writer director did um 
what is Charlie Syn- Synecdoche, New York, yeah, and yeah. Uh, being John Malkovich was a Kaufman. No, that was that's Spike, Spike Jones. Jones. God, I always. What are other Charlie Kaufman films? All of the ones that I've ever seen and, are great. And Monalisia. Oh, brother. But anyway, the other two, uh, much earlier, 90, uh, early 90s releases, uh, Raising Arizona, the mm-hmm. second Coen Brothers film. So that's actually in 87. Uh, wow. And well, one of my favorite Coen Brothers films. I, I, I really see that as like the prototypical film that kind of has established uh, the the structure and like the farcical nature of all Coen Brother films that have come after it. And then 90... Uh, 1990 release Wild at Heart, which was him working with David Lynch, and we talked about that earlier in Cage Facts. Ooh, um, where he, uh, yeah. So all amazing uh, directors, all amazing performances. Each, no matter what you choose, uh, the, it's sure to be a treat. Well, it's definitely between two that are in my heart right now. But when I looked into Nick's eyes, um. You know, I have to be frank. Uh, I haven't seen any of these movies. Oh, that's great. Uh, I think that's kind of fun. I know about Wild at Heart, and yeah. I've seen like a scene from it in film school. Um, but as like a dark, twisted, depressed individual, I feel like I should watch more David Lynch stuff. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, and leaving Twin Peaks is out right now. He's leaving Las relevant. Vegas seems like yeah a very cagey situation yeah where that we get movie some is raw cage that movie is all him you know that that movie like the the he is like the it's just a character study of of his main character so it's so, just like we get to, and, we get we get all we get the cage. we don't get to see him as a throwaway mentor in right. a bad movie and honestly that that that's if that's the direction you're leaning I'll, I'll say that i haven't seen that i've only seen that movie once and i was I was probably like 15 at the time, so I didn't have any sense of his like larger plays. Sure, and this is he um, won an Academy Award for, right? Yeah, so we should watch that. Cool. one. Cool, I think that's a great um, place to start uh, exploring his older filmography. Uh, Leaving Las Vegas, I'm stoked. I really want to watch that David Lynch one too, but yeah, let's do this one. Cause... We, we also talked about doing maybe every five from here yeah. on, doing a classic cage, just to be like, lest we shake off this mortal coil. Like, and also like <laughs> we we get that there is like a dumb sort of arbitrary like we don't we could literally be talking about any movie we could plug in any Nicolas Cage movie in this podcast and it totally works the exact same way formally yeah so is there really a reason that we should torture us I still think that the like core thesis of the show of us exploring his contemporary work is important and right. something that we will a mission we will continue but, you know it's like in the reason why the contemporary work is important is because of its of juxtaposition yeah. of which I don't really have a true appreciation of Absolutely. as a Nick important. Cage podcaster. Um, yeah, and I think that will only sort of uh, like further codify our understanding of who he is as a performer and the directions he's gone in uh, later on in his career. And I'll be excited to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, listeners, if you guys want to watch along with us, leaving Las Vegas, I have no idea. We didn't. We didn't know. We had no idea that the uh, was that even Nicolas Cage. Was that just a vision? If if it was, it was either Nick or Satan because it was yeah. the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and mm-hmm. and. It was very a seductive. A seductive fallen angel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we. I don't know if it's. I. I don't think it is on. It's like free on any streaming service because I feel like I it's would. Primo. So we, you might have to rent that on a VOD service. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked for it.
we kind of jumbled things around a little bit. We still have one more segment. The Bachelor. We, we, how how could we uh, how could we have known that he was just going to drop in on us? I like was that? flabbergasted. Um, we have Cage News. Oh, the news. Leave you with the news. Good news? Leave you with the news. Uh, yeah, some good news. We have... His ankle uh, feels better? The, he, we just, his ankle, I think, is doing better. He's returned to set. Um, he just signed with Hannibal Classics, which is a production house that I have never heard of before, mm-hmm. uh, for two different action movies that will both be shooting in Puerto Rico uh, in October. Puerto Rico! Yeah. Uh, Red Squad in Xander. Red Squad. You want to hear a quick synopsis of each of these? Give me Red Squad. Red Squad. Um... Sorry, I was on oh, Xander. Here we go. I found it. <laughs> uh, Cage will play a recently paroled Navy SEAL in Red Squad. In the film, he teams up with uh, a fed-up DEA agent who's his best friend to take down a ruthless drug lord whose cartel killed the por- the parolee's family. So he's kind of a hero, a little bit. Yeah, so his family gets killed, and then he goes and... Oh, revenge. Yeah, very much in line with a lot of other films that we've seen and a lot of other films he's been in. I'll take it. In Xander, Cage will portray an American expat in Puerto Rico who finds his family-owned coffee farm threatened by a dangerous drug lord. Oh, wow, <laughs> Nick. Like the same fucking really movie. killing it. Who wants to buy his farm. When he refuses, he's abducted and has to team up with a local rogue cop to fight back. These are so similar. They're exactly the same. <laughs> DAA so, yeah. and a rogue cop. That's okay. <sighs> it, what oh, if he brother. gets his lines mixed up and his characters mixed up in the movies? Yeah, you know? they're shooting back to back. That's that's so strange. Nick. That's such a straight, even for him who produces so many movies, those are so Maybe he's similar. like, just like, well, I'll be in the headspace, you know? I'm yeah. ready for it. Let's just knock two of these out and then that's payday, baby. I guess so. Uh, but that's our only real piece of the news. You want a little Bachelor Minute update? I certainly do not. This season on The Bachelor. But well, go can ahead. I, can I steal you away for a second, Derek? Okay. Okay. That's just what they say in The Bachelor because, you know, there's so many men to date whenever they're having a cocktail party at the end of the night. It, it, her, like, one-on-one time. Can I steal you a, away? Another guy comes up and he's like, can I steal you away for a second? And takes her away from, like, the conversation she's having with the guy. It's just like a – it's like verbiage used in the show all for – all the time but anyway learning uh rachel Lindsay's season at the bachelorette has uh has premiered um uh there's nothing to do with nick in it i i like rachel a lot i think she's a great choice for the bachelorette the first um uh black bachelor or bachelorette uh yeah bachelor or bachelorette um and uh some good guys some bad guys kenny it's my uh, personal. Uh, oh, so there's three guys that um, I think uh, Dean, Peter, and Kenny. Kenny is a professional wrestler. He's got a ten year old daughter. He seems like a real sweetheart. That's uh, what? I gave you the signal to keep going like nothing. Oh, was I wrong. thought you were giving me the wrap up signal. No, no, I just I was gonna look something up for Cage News. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway. Kenny's my uh I, I don't think that he actually is gonna make it all the way, but he's he's my uh he's the one I'm rooting for. And also I think here he this is early, early um betting. Peter 
I think he's going to be the next Bachelor. Well, keep an eye on Peter. Yeah, very handsome. <laughs> It'd be hard not to, I guess. Uh, I was going to submit... Is that the end of the Bachelor Minute? Yeah, that's it. I, I really don't have that. Oh, Demario, though. <laughs> no, okay. He kicked off the show. He had a gr- he had a girlfriend. Oh, Demario. He went on to the Bachelorette with a girlfriend. What an idiot. He knows not to do that, right? Yeah. Well, you get the money. You get the exposure. Well, the, the, the thing is that's like that literally has fucked up this show for all of time is that if you are a contestant who makes it reasonably far and is like somewhat charismatic, you get enough Instagram followers, oh, there so you, you go. can just sell tea, like fucking detox tea, for the oh. rest of your life. <laughs> like that's all, literally. So there's like a number of people who are just like, I'm a model, and this is like my ulterior motive is I just want to become oh, like an internet celebrity now. Of course, you get you get exposure. Yeah. So there's like a handful of guys who are just like very very obviously there for that reason and aren't there for the right reasons which well, let's, is to win rachel's heart right and we'll, okay that's we'll wrap it up and uh i was just gonna say if you want to see talk right into that sorry if you want to see a woman who um looks exactly like nick cage if he was a woman yeah for a second you can watch um the bahamas are you sure you want to blow up this girl's spot territory <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, there's probably not that many people who, and the, I'm sure whoever's listening is nice and wouldn't go and like make fun of her. No, it's just I, like, oh, I, yeah, she does. I, I listened to a band called Bahamas, and and I like them a lot. And I, had it's a great band. I finally saw what the band members look like, and I was taken aback at just how uh, Nicolas Cage like their guitarist is. Yeah. Um, and she's making it work, by the way. Oh, she looks good. She looks good. And I mean, Nikki's not a bad doesn't matter guy. what you look like. If you make music like that, that's you true. look awesome because the music's so good. Um, but, you know, that's my contribution to Cage that's News. That's the doppelgang sighting for the week, the Nick Cage doppel. Check it out. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Tweet at me. At Rain Songs At Rain Songs Music. Is that the, your handle? That's my handle. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I wasn't sure. But I don't um, really go on Twitter. But yeah, anyway, uh, leaving Las Vegas next week. Classic cage. Looking forward to it. I think it's going to be better than the Sorcerer's Appeal. Is it going to have its own classic cage list? Yeah, we can't um, mix up our current rankings. That's like... That that is like that is like if we just pulled in some random uh, test subject into our scientific study that didn't have anything to do with it, right? We can't yeah. like, dilute our. So study it'll be with first that. and last of the classic cage. Yeah, movies. well, we might as well just. I mean, like honestly, though, those are just Don't good need to movies. Rank them. Okay. <laughs> like a part of the uh, one of the reasons that we do that is because we're kind of making fun of the objective, like literalist critics that now exist like all of the aggregate sites that like put a percentage next to a film and say like this is like what the fuck does it mean that a movie is a 78 percent that doesn't mean anything that's so weird i was thinking 78 when i was thinking (laughs) useless number yeah (laughs) cage or put us in sync or the (laughs) we're connected right now um but anyway like that's the so we don't we probably shouldn't do that we can yeah we can give it a good good or a bad bad or you know, a good bad, but uh, yeah, we, or I feel like we'll just have a conversation about it. Um, but yeah, leaving Las Vegas next week. If you'd like to contact the show, contemporarycage at gmail dot com. I I actually realized I didn't even check because <sighs> uh, so there maybe is it's really important to me that we listen to your emails. I don't know about emails, David emails yet. He um, holds the login info and I don't get it and. He won't tell me yet. He'll yeah. never check it. And it's I all really want to know. Correspondence between me and a person who's also me posing as a Cage fan, <laughs> <laughs> having conversations back and forth. For tax reasons. Uh, yes. 
Um, you can also get follow us on Twitter at CagePod or follow me at DHRS. Follow Derek at Rain Songs Music. Yep. I Dude. hope you guys liked the song that you put in last episode Yeah, yeah Carly. Yeah. I thought it was great. I listened to it. I just kept listening to that part of the podcast. That <laughs> was so nice. Um, we'll we'll put it, what uh, song should I put in at the end of this show? For oh, outro? okay. You should put in. Um, here's what you'll put in. This is what you put in. Um, you put in. You can put in big things. That's a fun one because we know mm-hmm. the person in that band. Danielle Bezalo, dear friend. Mm-hmm. Um, her band Happenstance. Um, yeah, we'll put it in that one. And if you'd like to hear and see the full um, band, it's a beautiful video. One of my faves. Yeah, it was the first one we put out of that series where we went to San Francisco and Portland and shot a bunch of impromptu ones. It's on the rooftop in San Francisco at night, lit just by like these fun little um patio lights and they're just playing live and they sound great and it's uh yeah. it's wonderful so if you like this song uh go and check out the rest of it at rain songs music uh the youtube channel yeah so we don't have a custom URL yet because y'all gotta subscribe <laughs> but um you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash rain songs music instagram at rain songs music uh, you can find our YouTube page via both of those social media platforms in like the website and descriptions. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Guys. Bye. See ya.
Makes me 